This morning we are moving on through this series of messages that we are looking at in the Gospel of John. The miracles, the seven miracles of Jesus that take place there. So here is the 90-second recap of where we've come from and where we're at because we're up to number five in that list. Those first two miracles that we saw, which come in the first four chapters of John, both take place in the small village of Cana, where Jesus turns the water into wine at a wedding feast, and Jesus heals a sick child, one a royal official's son. We saw those two miracles as a way of, of demonstrating, John uses those as a demonstration of the way that people come to faith in Jesus. They believe in Jesus. Then we turn to our attention, Jesus goes to Jerusalem, and he heals a paralytic man by the pool of Bethesda. But we saw in John's telling of that story that it becomes a courtroom scene, that Jesus is accused of committing a crime by healing someone, because it happens to be the Sabbath day when that happens. Then we come back again, and the next thing that we saw was Jesus doing this miraculous feeding of 5,000 people that had all come out to this wilderness place over on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And we saw that last week as a way of demonstrating the way that John plants this entire story as, as a reenactment of manna in the wilderness for God's people. That's what we saw last week. And in some ways, we're staying there. Even though we're not looking at that miracle again, we're looking at the next one, we're still in chapter 6 of John, and, and just by the reminder of where we were last week and where it's going, that this whole thing about feeding 5,000 people that happens in John 6, we see that miracle at the beginning of chapter 6, but we saw the explanation of that, where Jesus gives the whole teaching about how he is the bread of life. That's all at the end of John chapter 6. Well, today, we're looking at what happens in the middle so we're kind of right in the middle of the same story that we saw last week, but now John takes it another step. So what we're seeing this week is, is building off of that same theme, but it goes a step further, and we'll see how this miracle today, Jesus walking on water, takes that whole theme we began last week and brings it to a whole other a whole other thing that Jesus is revealing about who he is and why he's come. All right, so that's, that's where we're going with it today. That's the context that we're in. I'm reading from John chapter 6, and this story picks up at verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where it was heading. The next day... The crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. 
thanks be to God. So today, we're picking up a story that in some ways never left the story of last week. Even though we're looking at a whole new miracle that happens here, that we're still in the same story as last week that began with Jesus feeding this multitude of people that had followed him across to the east side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee. And now the disciples head back to, the, to Capernaum to the other side. Jesus walks on the water to join them. The other people get in boats and they come back. So somewhere in this story of how Jesus is unfolding here, that this one moment takes place. And, and it's not a very long story. We only read a few verses here. And, and depending on which gospel you read, you get a little different version of what happens because this shows up in two of the other gospels besides John to see how this story unfolds. But John uses this story in a particular way. And that's what we've been focusing on. So, so let's dig in and see what's happening here without losing sight then of the overlapping themes. Because we began this last week where we talked about the way in which this whole feeding of 5,000 people in the wilderness was a reenactment of manna in the wilderness. And we haven't really left that. We're still in that story by some sense. So maybe the question that I bring to this passage then that we should be looking at is, is okay, is this reenactment still happening? Uh, are we still in that scene in some way? How is Jesus bringing this story that points back to life in what's happening here, in this moment? So we saw that how this whole thing with the, the man in the wilderness was, was the detail that John gave us at the beginning of chapter 6 was, you know what, this all happens around the Passover. That's significant that John would tell us that. It's Passover time. Passover, that time that the Jewish people would celebrate every year in which they would remember the way in which God took them as a people, as a nation, out of their slavery from Egypt. That Passover exodus event is what they were remembering when they'd get this manna feast from Jesus. So we're still in that mode of thinking. So when we read about this event that Jesus comes walking out to them on the water, I, I guess I look at that and I start asking the questions, what's the reenactment here? Where is Jesus going with this there? Could there possibly be some other story from Israel's past about the Passover and about the Exodus where a wind blows across the sea and someone walks right through? Could there be a story like that somewhere in the Old Testament? Well, I'm, of course, I'm being a little cynical. Like the parting of the Red Sea, when, when Moses leads the people of God on that Passover event, and they come to the Red Sea, and Moses stretches his staff, and the, the wind blows, and the waters part, and the people walk through the sea from one side to the other on foot. That, that all happens in Exodus chapter 14. So could it be the way John is bringing this story to us today, that, that what we're seeing here in this story is a throwback to that. That John is trying to, continuing to point our attention back to the Exodus, back to the Passover, back to the way in which Jesus is reenacting and, in fact, fulfilling what happens in those events, in that time, but bringing it forward to this time when he's living and then pointing it forward again. Well, 
maybe last week was a little bit easier to connect the dots, right? People in a wilderness space, miraculous bread provided enough for everyone. The manna connection there was pretty easy. This one looks a little different, though, because wait a minute. I thought in Exodus 14 the story was that the waters parted, and, and I thought the story in Exodus 14 was that not just, not just Moses, not just one person walked through, all the people walked through, but, but in this story here, everyone else is in boats. Jesus, Jesus is the only one left walking through. So is there really a connection there? And, and if there is, why is it so different? Why, why are the details not lining up in a way that's so easy to recognize? Well, there again, all right, maybe there's a reason for that. Because we've said this, too, that not only does John use these stories to point backwards, but he also uses these stories to point forwards, right? I've said this one every week through this series. Maybe you're tired of me saying this by now, but it's the reminder, right? John's gospel comes in two halves. The first half are all of the events that take place in the life of Jesus, including all seven of these miracles that we're looking at. The second half is one week from Palm Sunday to Easter. John uses all those stories from the first half of the gospel to point us to that second half, that one-week event. And this one's no different. So, this story doesn't quite line up with that whole Red Sea parting people walking through thing. What is John pointing us towards then? We'll get there. We'll get there in a little bit. Let's think of what else in this story sort of brings to mind some of the Passover, Exodus kind of event. You know, in this story, Jesus only has one line. He only says one thing. We read that as the story and the details go. Yep, it's evening. The disciples get into the boat. Jesus is not with them. Apparently, the whole crowd of people sees this happen. The disciples leave, but Jesus isn't there. And there's only one boat because they piece it together. The people who are left behind of, well, Jesus must still be here somewhere then. They hang around. And the next morning, they're all still looking for Jesus as though he were still there somewhere because they thought he hung around. So they, they all see that part of what happens. But then in the middle of the night, it's only the disciples who witness Jesus coming out to them. And they're afraid. So Jesus says that one line, that one thing. It is I. Don't be afraid. Well, it is I. Well, if you were to look at that in the Greek language, it is actually two Greek words, ego and me, which are both different ways of saying I. So if I were to literally translate that, it's not it is I that Jesus says it. What he says is, I am I. Or I would say it's maybe the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is I am who I am. The, the, The divine name of God. Looking back again to the Exodus, Exodus chapter 3, when Moses is in the wilderness while the people are still in Egypt, and God comes to Moses in this burning bush, and Moses asks, but who are you? What is your name? And God reveals his name, Yahweh. I am who I am. I am I. Jesus then, out on the water, captures something of this encounter with the divine that he reveals to his disciples 
Don't you know who I am? I'm that one. I am I, Yahweh. And the disciples are afraid, and, and this again is, is not, not anything new or unusual or different. In fact, if you go back to Exodus 3, when Moses sees the burning bush and encounters God there, Exodus 3 tells us Moses is afraid. He hides his face because he's afraid. So, once again, just as we see so often in Scripture, God has to remind his people, don't be afraid, don't be alarmed, don't be frightened. And then the story goes from there that immediately the boat gets to the other shore. They arrive to the other side. And the other people who are left on the other side, recognizing that Jesus is no longer there, when boats come along for them, they they all grab a ride and hop over and go looking for Jesus in Capernaum on the other side. All of this then as a way of pointing us, pointing us back to a time when God revealed himself to his people as the one who would save his people, bring his people from their bondage, from their slavery, and give them new life. But it points forward as well, doesn't it? We've been seeing that all along, the way in which these stories that John brings not only point back to something, but they're all pointing forward to something else. And this one's no different either, that John is pointing our attention forward to the events that bring Jesus to the cross. But but this one's different. We noted that. It doesn't line up. So if in the Old Testament all the people walk through, why is it on, on this event, in this miracle, it's only Jesus who's out there walking on the water? Well, could it be here that what John is trying to point us towards in Jesus is that the way this miracle is coming, the way that this miracle is being reenacted is showing us something specific about Jesus, who Jesus is. Let's put it this way. All right, in the Old Testament, in Exodus 14, God brought his people, Israel, out of slavery. And he brought them to Mount Sinai to give them the law, the covenant, that God made a covenant promise with his people. And in parting of the Red Sea, what we see happening there is God leading his people in ways that say, all right, these are the steps that you take towards my perfect, holy covenant people. That you live these steps as a way of being perfectly obedient to the covenant which I give. The covenant which we share together. But what we see in the unfolding of that Exodus journey through the rest of the Old Testament and from that time forward is, you know what? They could not keep that covenant perfectly, could they? Even though God made steps before them to say, here are the steps that I'm giving you. If you live in this way, then we will have that covenant bond together. Even though God gave them those steps and made it possible for them, they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it, and let's be honest, neither do we, do we? We are incapable of walking in perfect covenant obedience to God. We can't do it. So John gives us a story here in which he reenacts and relives that story, but it's only Jesus because only Jesus can walk those steps. Only Jesus can take that journey to the cross. We can't do it. 
So in this reenactment that's happening here, in this story from Old Testament that's coming to New Testament, John is giving us a twist, a bit of a spin. He's showing us here that this time, this time, Jesus walks the steps for you that you cannot do on your own. That you are incapable of doing on your own. Jesus takes that all upon himself alone. Because what we see where John is pointing this story is that only Jesus, only Jesus is able to step in perfect covenant obedience. So only Jesus makes that trip walking through the water from one side to the other side, carrying all of our sins, all of our imperfections, all the ways in which we are incapable of making those steps on our own. Jesus himself carries all of that on our behalf for us, taking that upon himself. John is pointing us in that direction. You know, I mentioned that this story shows up in a few of the other Gospels as well, with, with a little more detail in some of those places. In Matthew's version of this story, if you were to flip to Matthew, you read that when they're out on the water in the storm there, that, that it's actually Peter who calls out to Jesus and says, Jesus, if it's really you, invite me to, uh, invite me to come out. Let me walk on the water towards you. And Jesus invites him to come. And so Peter gets out of the boat and he takes only a few steps, but nope, down he goes. Starts sinking. Uh, there's, it was about 20 years ago when uh, Christian author John Ortberg wrote, wrote a book titled, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. And it was an incredibly successful book that probably launched Ortberg's writing career. In fact, uh, it was recently republished and reprinted in 2015 under the same title. And Nothing against Ortberg, because the book, I think John does a, does a great job, Ortberg does a great job of exploring the, the ideas of having a courageous faith. That's what he's really about there. But I have to admit, I cringe at the title. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. Because it seems to me that misses the point of the story. The point of the story that John is making here in particular is one that says, you can't walk on water because you're not Jesus. That's the whole point of the story. That this time, it's only Jesus who can take those steps that you and I could never take. But he does that for us. So we see that in this story as it comes forward to us. This shows us then the way in which Jesus calls us. Because think about how the story ends. Right? It, it's not that the disciples then are just left in their boat out there on their own. It's not that Jesus just makes his way across to the other side and, you know what, you guys catch up when you're able. That's fine. No, Jesus, in that moment where he takes those steps that we never could, he still uses those steps to draw his people to him. He goes to his disciples and he brings them to the other side with him, that they go to the other shore. And it's not as though in this story that all of those people who were left on the other shore, remember from, from the day before, 
They're not just left there wandering aimlessly in the wilderness, not knowing where Jesus is, but they, they go seeking Jesus out. They go searching for him, and, and he's found. They come to Jesus again. That Jesus, through this story, the way that this story unfolds, even though Jesus is the only one who takes those steps, even though Jesus is the only one who is capable of taking those steps, the story ends in a way in which we see that even though Jesus does that alone, he still draws people to himself, doesn't he? He still invites people to come to him, and he still receives them and takes them in that the story unfolds in a way in which even though Jesus walks that journey to the cross alone, he walks that journey to the cross alone in a way in which he may then draw all people to himself. In fact, he does so so that he can draw all people to himself that invitation to come to Jesus, that calling to come to Jesus is still very evident in this story and in the way John tells it. That we are people then who are drawn to Jesus. So in this season of Lent where we are at, recognizing, remembering that we are people who face our own storms in life, That we are people who from time to time maybe find ourselves adrift in a boat, lost in a way. That we are people who every now and then in our lives maybe wander aimlessly with the crowd, searching, looking, not knowing. That in this life that we live, we affirm and remember again, you know what? Jesus took the journey that we never could so that we may be drawn to him. So where you're at today, look to Jesus. Respond to him. Receive his invitation. Be drawn to him again because he has taken all the steps that are necessary for you to be one of his own. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gift of your word. And as we see once again the way in which you use those stories of the Old Testament and give them new meaning and new life, Lord, may we respond to that in ways that acknowledge that in your grace you have done all that is necessary, that you have taken upon yourself all the steps that we could never make and that you bring us to yourself. Lord, we acknowledge today that we can't do this alone, that we need you. So, Lord, as we continue our worship for you today,